It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. Hey, thanks for listening to the Locked On Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Noah Getzel, and we are here on a Sunday night tonight, uh, right after St. Patrick's Day weekend, we talking about the Wizards' victory over the Indiana Pacers Saturday um, it, with in a matchup that was crucial for both teams in terms of playoffs uh, seeding. We're going to talk about the modern progression of centers in the NBA and how they're becoming more and more versatile, shooting more threes, being able to run out to the three-point line and guard people, and what that means not just for the Wizards and their front court, but also the rest of the league. And finally... Um, talking about the Eastern Conference preview, we're going to talk about one team that's left out of it with a Chicago Bulls insider, Alex Friedman, and he's going to talk about his thoughts on year one of the rebuild process after the Jimmy Butler trade, and then a warning from the league about resting some of the star players. So we're going to hop right into all of that. Um, in case you haven't listened to this podcast before, Wizards Extra Podcast is up every day, five days a week, offering you daily Wizards news analysis and lots of hot take opinions that get kind of fiery. We do some poll question uh, with poll question interaction with our followers, too. So you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, plenty of other places, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So again, I'm your host, Noah Getzel. I've been covering the Wizards for four seasons with Wizards Extra. And before that, um, I was at University of Wisconsin doing some men's soccer coverage, basketball coverage, football, a lot of different um, sports reporting over there. And one guy who I went to school with is a huge basketball junkie from uh, Chicago area who knows a ton about the Chicago Bulls. And we welcome to the show now Alex Friedman. And he was actually kind enough to, to grace me with uh, allowing me to stay at his place here on my visit to Chicago. So first of all, thank you so much. Sorry for holding you captive on this Locked On uh, Wizards podcast here. How's it going? Uh, not a problem. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. So the Wizards uh, look like it's probably likely at this stage, if the playoffs were to start now, it would be a 4-5 matchup between the, the Pacers and the Wizards. Um, the Wizards just beat them by seven points on Saturday night in a very well-balanced scoring attack. And of course, John Wall was out of the game. Mm-hmm. The Pacers are kind of a a newcomer to the playoff scene after they lost Paul George. Everyone thought the expectations would be down the drain. Are you impressed by how good the Pacers have been, and do you think the Wizards could match up favorably if you know this goes to the postseason? 
I'm absolutely impressed with what Indiana Pacers have done this season. My expectations for them were not all that high going in. Victor Oladipo, as everyone's been saying all year, has been having an incredible season. It's why he was drafted so high in Orlando. It's good to see him finally playing the way he is this year. Uh, mm. Concerning the matchup, um, I think it's going to be a great, very entertaining series. Uh, home court advantage is definitely going to come into play, I would think. So getting that, that four seed for either team would be a huge advantage. Uh, the game on Saturday, though, no John Wall and still able to pull out a win. Mm-hmm. As a Wizards fan, you you got to love seeing that. As an, sure. as an outsider, it's it's definitely influential considering the the playoffs are so close. But over the, the grind of a seven-game series, this doesn't mean all that much. But right. at the same time, without John Wall, it's good to see. Mm-hmm. And the Pacers were the ones to, to whip the Wizards the, the previous game um, in February where Oladipo kind of went off and mm-hmm. destroyed the Wizards with 38 points. Sorry, 33 points. Uh, I think he had three steals to go along with that. Wizards held him in check on Saturday. Uh, he had just 18 points, uh, shot 7 of 16, so not quite 50%. And it was really Bradley Beal who took that um, that matchup personally and wanted to shut him down on defense because it. Beal said before the game it's basically a must-win given oh, uh, like you know that the teams could match up. You need to prove you're better in the regular season before things count for elimination so very well balanced scoring attack what i'd like to see most on saturday night is that the wizards went up big but were able to preserve it so they were up 12 at halftime ultimately got up by 21 points and you know how the wizards well you might not know since you're not a wizards fan but you could imagine like they they got up 21 uh you always prepare for the collapse you can't turn the tv off in those situations and so it you know it, it got close um within seven points but ultimately the wizards slammed the door shut on any Comeback attempt. Um, one guy who really stepped up, we'll talk about centers in just a little bit, but Marcin Gortat, guy who hasn't played much, hasn't gotten many touches or points in what seems like a month or more for the Wizards. He's kind of just disappeared in late game situations. 18 points, 8 rebounds, had a steal and a block, and 4 assists to go along with it. Big game for Marcin, um, but Markeith Morris had 15, Beal led the team with 19, he shot an efficient. 6 of 12, got to a free throw line, 7 attempts. Um, Oubre, 16 points off the bench. He shot over 50%. The Wizards as a team shot 54% and made half their threes, so not bad. And then one guy who continues to step up for sure is uh, Tomas Sadoransky, who had 12 points, 8 assists, and 5 rebounds. Um, are, have you been impressed? I, I don't know how much of Tomas you've gotten to see, but is did you think there would be more of a drop-off for the Wizards at point guard after Wall's injury? I mean, replacing someone like John Wall is always going to be a problem no matter who you are. Uh, like you were saying, preserving a lead can definitely be tough when your your star point guard's not on the court. Bradley Beal has, of course, had to step up. Otto Porter's been having a few good games over the past couple of weeks I've seen. Like you said, Marcin um, hasn't had the greatest uh, season thus far, but it was good to see him playing like this. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been in the league a long time. He's always been a solid. 33 now, yep. Yeah, he's always been a solid player. Um, but he definitely, it's been a noticeable fall-off for him this year compared to previous years, I think, from what I've seen on the outside. And like you said, with the center position evolving, he, uh, more traditional, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, not a terrible defender by any means, but... He's better against the big, immobile guys, more like him, absolutely. And we're going to get right into that, so we're going to take a real quick break on Locked on Wizards podcast, but when we come back, we're going to talk about how Gortat was able to be so successful after being so quiet recently. Uh, His success came against the Indiana Pacers, who, by the way, were without their two best centers, 
Um, so we'll get into that right here on the Locked On Wizards podcast, talk about the progression and evolution of NBA centers here in the league. Stay tuned. Noah Getzel and Alex Friedman will be right back. Thank you. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Thank you guys for tuning in to Locked On Wizards podcast. We are back. I'm here with Alex Friedman, who hails from Lincolnshire, Illinois. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the evolution of your, your Chicago uh, Bulls and Chicago team fanhood? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's been a rough couple of years uh, the three alphas, even from the beginning, like the expectations were not all that high. It seemed like sort of a gimmick at the time. It's just like, okay, this is a way to get people in the seats, I suppose. Like Three alphas? And can you clarify who those oh, are? Oh, with, with Rondo, D. Wade, and, and Jimmy mm-hmm. last season. Yeah. And um, like that never seemed like a good recipe for sustainable success. Like Maybe you can get a few good games here and there, but as far as someone who's been following the Bulls for a long time, I wasn't all too thrilled to see it. Uh, this season so far, um, I mean, we knew what to expect coming in. We didn't expect much. It's tough to watch a rebuild go down. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, when you're kind of hoping for those ping pong balls, it's it's kind of refreshing every now and then to see them playing well and winning some games. Like You want to see mm-hmm. them drop in the standings for the sake of the ping pong balls, but at the same time, we have seen... You don't want to see a total train wreck. At exactly. The same you want to exactly. see some semblance of a, a growing, improving team. Yeah. Without. Yeah, like honestly, in this sort of situation, you go out there, you play a hard game, you lose. Like that's probably the best you could hope for. Like you want to see your team win, and they have been winning some games. It's been great to see some of the progress from Chris Dunn compared to last season. Mm-hmm. It's good to see Levine back and healthy. Oh yeah, he's got uh, that bounce back. Yeah, yeah, he definitely looks healthy. Um, as far as his contract goes this off season, like I don't see the Bulls letting him walk, mm-hmm. him being a restricted free agent. But at the same time. If a team were to throw in the max offer, personally, if I were trying to build a team, I don't think that's something I would want to do. What do you think his weaknesses are Is it from Zach Levine's game? Uh, defensively, first and foremost. Uh, he needs to get better on the defensive side of the ball. He has shown to be an efficient scorer last season with mm-hmm. Minnesota. So far this year, uh, a lot of people will knock him on the shot selection. Mm. That hasn't been great, I'll admit, but I don't think that's been the main problem. The shot selection for me hasn't been all that bad. It's been the shot making, and that that can be part of the layoff from not playing for a full season. It could also do with last year on the Minnesota Timberwolves, he had a few more offensive weapons to work with on his team, and now defenses could key on him a little more. So some more offensive progression in future seasons from Don Markin and other pieces that may get picked up through the draft or free agency. It'll hopefully take some pressure off him 
from a defensive standpoint where other teams are focusing and keying on him. Because mm-hmm. last year in Minnesota, he seemed like a much more efficient scorer as his second or third option. And yeah. I think if the Bulls can get a team around him where he's that second or third option, I can think he could be a very successful player, especially if he commits to the defensive side of the ball. What do you think... Uh... So you've got Bobby Portis, who's a very tough defensive-minded player. He got into a bit of a scuffle early with Nikola Miritic. Are you okay with the, the trade that went down to the Pelicans in terms of shipping out Miritic for next to nothing just to kind of go into full, all right, let's tank and rebuild mode? Do you think that's what the move was about, that the, the Bulls couldn't really offer him the situation that he was asking for? I think that's definitely a part of it. Uh, Nico's been on the team for a few years. He's one of the more veteran players on the squad before they traded him. They were able to get back a first-round pick from that trade, which mm, I okay. was incredibly happy with because yeah. like, for a team in the Bulls situation, and that's what you're trying to stockpile, the, the young players and the draft picks. And is, I loved Nico on the Bulls. Loved him and hated him. Um, he could be tough to watch at times, but when he was when stroking, breaking, yeah. when he was stroking, like it was, it was great to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you thought of the rookie campaign for Laurie Markkinen? Has it exceeded your expectations? Yes, I, I was impressed. Um, what did you expect? Just another foreign soft shooter. I expected him. Frail. He did look a little skinny coming out of college. He's been more physical than I thought he would be. Uh, his Game on the block is better than I thought it would be. I honestly thought we were getting someone that was more of a pure shooter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's shown to have a good stroke from outside. He's also shown to be able to attack off of the dribble, which is great to see. And he seems to be a much better athlete than at least I thought coming mm-hmm. in. When the Bulls traded up, um, I mean, Laurie Markkinen was there on the draft boards around that place. But uh, it, it wasn't exactly where I thought they were going to go with it. But at the same time... Like, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can't like really be too mad with the pick at this point. At the time, I I was scratching my head a little bit. Mm-hmm. I will admit there was a few other guys on the board like Dennis Smith yeah. was someone I liked. But then again, Chris Dunn came yeah. back in that trade, so you can't really draft another. Well, you can, but it's probably not the ideal situation. And then Malik Monk was also another guy I really liked coming out of college. He hasn't had the best season in Charlotte, but I still think he's a pretty talented player. I've got one more question before we dive into our final topic about the progression of NBA centers. So you were telling me before the, the podcast began that one guy who seems impossible to turn down if the if the Bulls were in the right position would be Arizona star center, uh, the freshman DeAndre Aiden. Uh, so do you think, Markinen, where do you think he fits on the basketball court? Is he a power forward? Is he a center? Does it not matter? Do you think he, he's you know suitable playing next to a traditional post-up center type guy? I think he can do both, absolutely. And I think Fred Hornberg is a creator and enough offensive coach to make it work with Markkinen and someone like Aiton, like a pure center, especially mm-hmm. with Aiton because he could stretch the floor as well. I think the two of them on the court would be terror on the offensive side. Having two bigs that could stretch the floor like that and take you down low, uh, I, thought, I think that would be very lethal. But like you're saying, the game's evolved. There's a lot more... Small ball lineups, if you will, uh, centers that can step out and guard on the on the perimeter. And Markkinen has been a better defender than I think a lot of people thought coming mm-hmm. out. Um, he's still not the quickest, so defending on the perimeter, like someone that's seven feet tall, that's going to be incredibly difficult no matter what. And I'm sure that's something he's going to work on. But I think he can absolutely small ball center. Yeah. Or he's a lot more tough minded than I kind of. It's I mean it's tough to like put a value to that, but he just seems like. 
he plays very hard and chippy basketball, Laurie Markkinen, and it, I didn't really necessarily see that coming from a 19-year-old kid who doesn't have a, a ton of experience playing against, you know, the competition of, of U.S. Of course, like, no rookies play against professional athletes, but when you come from overseas, there's always that, that stigma about you that you're going to shoot and make fancy passes and you're not really going to bang and you won't be able to take a foul or anything like that or get off the floor. So definitely been impressed with that there. Um, let's get back to the discussion of centers and what makes a, pos- a quality center these days and how it's changing. So against the Pacers, I mentioned that Marcin Gortat had 18 points, 9 rebounds. He was going against Al Jefferson, who's older than him, probably weighs more than him, maybe a step slower. You know, he's had an injury history. And when... I think, like Martin Gortat said before the game, according to um, Washington Post reporter Candace Buckner, he kind of like gave uh, Jefferson like the the nod of approval, like, "Hey, I'm glad I'm going against you. Like, you know, you're not out. I don't have to chase you around the three point <laughs> line. Basically, like, you're going to come here and bang in the post, and that's what I'm looking for. We'll have a traditional centers matchup full of pump fakes and drop steps and all that. Why do you think that's no longer the case?" that people are posting up um, and offenses don't really want, run inside out anymore in the NBA? Why is it a point guard in a shooter's league now? What's what's changed? I think the main part of that has to do with ball movement. I think when you're giving a, the ball to a traditional post player, a lot of times, like some of them are great passers, don't get me wrong, but a lot of the times that'll kind of stall the offense, kind of create like less fluidity. Um, I think a lot of the best offenses in the league nowadays, just tons of passes. Look at Golden yeah. State, look at Houston. They're throwing the ball all over the place. They're taking a lot of perimeter shots. Still in the example from the, the Spurs, probably, is yeah. how, how things evolved. Yeah, absolutely. And while there is still a place in the NBA, um, it seems to have been marginalized a bit, just taking a step back to this more this more pass-heavy approach, more fluid approach as far as just ball, ball movement, getting shooters involved. Mm-hmm. But that being said... Uh, Al Jefferson, Gortat, that's, it, it was good to see a classic like that, two more old-school guys. I'm glad Gortat recognized it. That's pretty funny. I didn't know about Duel that. Duel of the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. And Al Jefferson, I mean, throughout his career, he, he had a great career, 2010, yeah. a lot of years in a row. And um, it's a little sad to see those kind of go by the wayside. Is it a permanent change? Because they're too slow to keep up in the shooter's type of fast-break game? They're not going to, you know stop on a dime in a fast break and shoot a three like someone like, I don't know, Carl Anthony Towns or Joel Embiid or I guess Giannis Antetokounmpo isn't really a center, but he's 6'11", and he's, he's redefining what you can do at whatever skill set. It's just a bit strange to see, you know, like maybe Shaq was the last great center and then Dwight Howard was supposed to fill in in his footsteps and made it to the finals, but, you know, he never never really got to that next level of someone who can dominate the game from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And you had a whole generation of guys like T-Mac, Vince Carter, um, Kobe Bryant, Paul Pierce. They're, you know, sort of replicating what Jordan did for the the Bulls at a much smaller, you know, not, not quite the same level of greatness, but their goal was to be, okay, get out of the way. Point guard gives me the ball. I'm going to go ISO one-on-one. You still have that today with guys like James Harden. Absolutely. There's a lot more ball movement, and it's a faster-paced game, I would say. Um, and with that, you can't have slower-paced players. So I can I can totally understand why centers are not quite having the impact that they had. or if. But then again, like you look at guys coming into the league, and you know some of them are still 6'10", 7 feet tall. 
do you what kind of new skill sets do you need to be a successful center in the NBA? What do you think, Alex? Well, before I get into that, I think you hit the nail on the head when you were saying how the league has been adapting to some of these star players coming in, and I think a transition back to a tradition, more traditional big man could happen from just some generational talent coming into the league and the league being forced to adapt to them, mm. uh, as we've seen. And like you said, like Shaq, probably the last great, true, dominant inside force. Dwight was a lot of fun for a lot of years, but I think we will see another player like that eventually come into the league, and I think defenses will have to adapt. Like Joel Embiid, he's, he's absolutely redefined the position, and uh, some of the other centers you mentioned mm-hmm. as well, some of the other young big men, um, still very capable of dominating the inside, but like you said, more outside, more touch, more dribbling, more passing, uh, just overall more versatile game, mm-hmm. which is, like like we've been discussing, has been the current trend in the NBA, and I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. That being said, we're already seeing it with Joel Embiid. Um He's changing the way defenses have to play him. Right. You you can't guard him one on one. Like, yeah, know. he does everything well. <laughs> yeah. And there's a number of guys that are like that, where it's just you have to adapt. And as of right now, the guys that are forcing teams to adapt just happen to be these big, uber athletic, uh, super talented players. That while they can dominate inside, they have just the ability to dominate in so many other ways as well. So What's interesting is you don't really see the best small ball teams kind of going up against the traditional, you know, centers anymore. And it, you just don't see it because you need someone to chase people off the three-point line. So if you talk about Golden State Warriors, you know, they, they roll with Draymond Green, who's 6'10", playing, or I'm sorry, 6'8", 6'7", 6'8". He's a lot undersized playing center. Um why can't, I mean, I understand like the Cavs have faced them the past three finals. They don't have a guy like Tristan Thompson or even Kevin Love, whose game is to create offense in the low post. Is there any team that you think uh, would have a chance against the Warriors just from the the ability to, you know, get points inside who who the Warriors can't guard because they don't have the, the size and personnel to match up? Or is it not even an issue because the Warriors are just so fast in transition? I think it's more the latter than yeah. the former. Um, okay. I don't think there's one player right now that you could just give him the ball on the low post and force Golden State to adapt to that. I mm. think like what, what we were discussing before, having to adapt to greatness, the Warriors have achieved that. Teams have to adapt to the way they play because if you try to play your game against the Warriors, a lot of time it's not going to work out for you. So no UMBC is going to come in and upseat with the Warriors? doesn't happen. I, I think what makes college basketball great in the NCAAs is it's just one game. It's mm-hmm. 40 minutes. You know, anything could happen in 40 minutes. If there's a series between, I don't know, like, let's say Utah Jazz and Golden State Warriors. Like, it's, it's not unforeseeable that the the Jazz could steal one game when they're down to mm-hmm. nothing, like getting one on the home court. But, like, there's no chance they could win the series. I think that's the biggest... That's what makes NCAA so fun. It's all about one game. But I've got one final question before I get you out of here and let you get to bed, Alex. Um, there's been a lot of talk about tanking and how kind of rules are changing here in the NBA. The Bulls got a warning from the NBA and Commissioner Adam Silver about sitting down guys like Robin Lopez and uh, which other like veteran players yeah, Justin were... Justin Holiday. Okay, Justin yeah. Holiday. Do you think that warning is justified in terms of the Bulls being a younger team who's just trying to t- try out some of the younger talent and give the, the new guys some more minutes? Or do you think it's it's 
a legitimate criticism. Hey, like you're paying these guys all of your money. Like you've got to keep them in the game, you know, because it's the people who the fans want to see. What do, What do you think from a you know a GM perspective, but also like a fans perspective of the Chicago Bulls? Well, I can completely understand why the league is warning the Bulls on that. Tanking is never healthy for any perspective of the league. Um, the reform that they're going to put into the draft, I think, is going to do a lot to help prevent this sort of thing. Uh, at the same time, the warning the Bulls got, like, they haven't been that bad at tanking. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, you were mentioning, that's like, the, the Knicks problem. are four-game worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Knicks, the Knicks passed them up. So. Well, New York is New York. <laughs> yeah, and KP going down was just The ghost of tragic. Carmelo Anthony continues oh, to haunt no. them. Oh, no. But uh, with the Bulls, Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday were definitely two of their key players in the first half of the season and guys that you would never inexplicably bench like that if you're trying to win games. That being said, where the Bulls are in the standings, it makes sense to give the young guys a look. You know what you have in Justin Holiday. You know what you have in Robin Lopez. You don't necessarily know what you have in someone like Felicio, uh, Cristiano Felicio. Um, mm-hmm. He had a great season last year. Uh, this year has been a, a step grab back. He, I mean, Denzel Valentine is still a bit of a mystery. Um, he seems to have... I think he could be a decent ro- rotational player. Mm-hmm. Decent role player. Yeah, Bob, Bobby he's Portis. the Wizards. Yeah, yeah, you've seen that firsthand. Bobby Portis has destroyed the Wizards in other ways, basically. <laughs> Tim Frazier's nose and Tomas Sadoransky's head. Yeah, he's got a he's got a, a history of that. <laughs> cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Wizards Extra Pod or sorry, the Locked On Wizards podcast hosted by Wizards Extra. And uh, I've gotta ask you, do you have a song recommendation to close out this podcast? Song recommendation. Uh, the Rover. Zeppelin. All right, all right, we can do that. All right. No problem. All right, I'll let you get to bed. Thanks so much, uh, Wizards Extra, uh, reporting here on the Lockdown Wizards podcast. We're going to come to you on nothing but net radio station of Dash Radio, Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Uh, we do that radio show every Monday, Tuesday, and Friday night at 9 p.m., so come tune in for that. And the Wizards have a lighter week. Uh, they've got, they're going to San Antonio to face the Spurs, who I keep hearing this over and over. They haven't beaten the Spurs in San Antonio this century. So <laughs> in the whole two, 2000s uh, you know, era, the Wizards haven't got earned a W there. We'll see what happens. Uh, stay posted on Locked On Wizards, and have a great night, everyone.
Hey Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.